This is Brain Fuzz, the art, music, and culture podcast with Joe Camusa and Matthew White. In episode 15, Joe and Matthew are joined by artist William Downs to discuss career tracks, studio life, and drawing versus painting. Philip Gustin comes up again, as do Lawrence Wiener, de Kooning, Rauschenberg, the Sex Pistols, and the Ramones. But first, fearlessness. Because I think, you know, if there's one thing I think of when I look at your work, is there's a fearlessness, there's a endurance aspect, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's a, you know, using like found papers. Yeah. And uh, it looks like materials as well at times. Like this, this going the distance to not be precious yeah. and to get past, like you said, that fear. I mean, if yeah. you have a brand new sheet of, you know, Arches paper, it's like, oh, that's a $5 sheet of paper. Or if you've stretched <laughs> a giant canvas. <laughs> but to get to that point where you're willing to break something. Yeah. And Gustin was that way. You know, he it's, was. So David Hammonds, Philip Gustin, those are the two people I feel like and Louise Bourgeois. And then we'll put oh, wow, yeah. Eva Hesse in that too. Oh, okay. Like those four people to me, they can. And we'll throw Amy Silman in there because she's, hmm. I feel like, on that level. Of I agree. People that influence and will continue to have this like ripple backwards and forwards of people to follow their work and use elements to make, you know, we were talking about Sherry Hughes earlier. I think she looks at Amy Silman, which is great. And I think Dana Schutz shoots. Uh, I think it's Schutz. I heard shoots the other day. I, I did hear shoots. That's yeah. It was David Sally. Oh, okay. That said shoots. Okay. So I feel like, you know, people like those guys, they look at Amy because they need someone. I mean, Amy is like the de Kooning, I feel like, a female de Kooning of painting. So, um... Yeah, I mean, I, I, she's been a huge, I mean, like, paintings don't look a thing like hers, but I mean, her writing, mm-hmm. her sense of humor, mm-hmm. obviously a career, you know, educator as well. There yes. is like a nurturing, uh, but, you know, yet in the work, there's a ferocity. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the levels of scraping away and painting again, yes. like, I, almost going back to, I think of, I see Stephen Corn and, and Gustin, uh, too. He's in there. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I get those are like the touchstones, though. Like, when I read some of these things uh, that are just damning as far as, like, well, there's no content. I'm like, yeah, but the content can be the, the actual, the work. Yeah. And, you know, the performative element of that is what people don't think about. It's like the Kooning and Rauschenberg's collaboration. That performative back and forth, we don't think about that. And I think when you're painting like that, it's a performance. And you're talking about the erased yeah, drawing? the best drawing ever in history. <laughs> what do you, what's your take on that? Because I have, I have read considerably on that one. And there are those I love that, it. There are those that argue that Kooning wasn't exactly thrilled with any limited what Rauschenberg was allowed to take from. But uh, And then Rauschenberg's tale about how it took, uh, I forget how many different types of erasers, but he claims it took him a week <laughs> yeah. to get rid of all those marks. I mean, what a great story. That's the one I'd yeah. love to show so to students. I think that right there can sum up a lot of those questions that you just raised, I feel like, because 
those are two like I think probably they were like contemporary at that point when they did that collaboration but to just remove the Kooning's marks I feel like was a very performative contemporary gesture that you could read into that as deep as you want to or maybe not you know the materials and the, I don't know those two guys are just you it's have like a Michael story Jordan. that is not unrelated. Lawrence Weiner. Oh, yeah. Can you tell that? Can you tell that? It's not unrelated. Yeah. I, can't, I can't believe I told you that story. That's great. Can you tell it? Yeah, I think so. It's been long enough for okay. it not to be... Not to be a... <laughs> the NDA is expired. <laughs> so I was in a show in the Lower East Side, and... I was a little late because I was commuting back and forth from Baltimore to New York. And the curator's like, okay, we want you to do a wall drawing. I was like, all right, cool. What day can I do it? Thursday? Okay, cool. So I show up on Thursday. An intern let me in the gallery. And they were like, you're on that side of the wall, not this side. So I was like, all right. So there's a square. Oh. Perfectly, <laughs> perfectly cut out of drywall. Yeah. It exposed the back side of the gallery, which is plywood. <laughs> so I thought that was my spot. It's like, <laughs> they carved it out just for me. <laughs> so I go in and I'm like drawing for like four or five hours. I mean, this really beautiful drawing. And then I leave. I get a phone call the next day. Wow. From the estate right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the the Latvian story. feed, the Latvian feed. It's yeah. yeah. So I get a phone call from the curator. She's like, William Downs, you must come to the gallery right now. It's like, alright, it's Saturday, so I'll I'll be there. Twenty minutes. Get on the train, go to the gallery, and they're all standing there with their arms crossed. And they were like, You just drew on a Lawrence Weiner. I thought that was my spot. So I was like, ah, all right. So <laughs> I jumped back on the train, went up to the art supply store and got a bag of erasers, went back to the gallery, and I started erasing <laughs> my drawing. <laughs> so that was kind of like my de Kooning and Rauschenberg. <laughs> no, because it was a Razor flip phone at that time. Did he, uh, was he ever I don't think they told him because at the opening he was there and nobody. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, like, I was waiting for some kind of a punch. No, <clears throat> no, no, it didn't happen. So, but I was on the same wall as he was, but I had to draw another square perfectly like his square to kind of mirror it and make a new drawing. Wow. So, <laughs> you, when, when I was thinking about sitting down, to talk, I realized, you know, looking back in your in your history, um, printmaking, paintings, and etchings, and lately you're mainly known for your drawing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's true. Yeah, it is true. Um, so why drawing? And since when? Graduate school. Okay. That's when everything changed. I felt like <clears throat> so. I had an interview with Grace Hardigan when I was applying for. Um, graduate school I showed her a whole portfolio of 20 paintings that were unstretched and I thought they were really great 
because I got in. So my interview with her, she's like, no, you can't come to my school. You have to go upstairs. I was like, what do you mean? She was like, you have to go to Mount Royal. I was like, all right. And I didn't even know about that program until we went upstairs. And she's like, this is a very interdisciplinary program. You should be here, not in my program. I was like, ah. So I changed from painting on unstretched making lots of little drawings in grad school and I don't think I slept a whole night in graduate school because I was working so much but I got into this whole idea of like becoming a machine and just drawing with everything using my mouth my ears like putting pencils in my nose so it was like this performative drawing but I would do like dozens and, and dozens and hundreds and I would just pin them up so my studio visits with all the people who were visiting they were like, this is great, keep doing this. This is a really good um, process, project. So that's what I did, and that's how it started. I was making like thousands of drawings, pinning them up on the wall and creating these. Were you using found paper at the time? I was, I found um, these book pockets, which I think was my biggest installation. I made 6,000 drawings on book pockets. They're like five by three inches. So that was kind of like this big moment of like, if I ever like lost my memory or couldn't see anymore, I had this archive of drawings, 6,000 of them that I could just pin to the wall and kind of like figure out how to make work from that without seeing them. So that's how it started. Did it, was there any kind of uh, accompanying text to describe like oh this was like the pencils in the nose or or was that only known to you or it was only known was... to me because we didn't have iPhone that's the difference between then and now but now is that something that you yeah. will explain now I would I show it and have like evidence of that and I feel like that's important because the new work that's showing right now at the lending house most of those drawings were drawn that way so when the curators came to my studio I showed them like the photographs of me drawing with my stick in my mouth or my brush in my mouth or moving the paper and letting something like cut through the surface of the page to make the mark. The most recent work I saw in your studio, which was probably December. Was that the mural? That or was the wall drawing? Your entire yeah. studio was covered. Yeah, yeah, it's still there. So that drawing was kind of like you take your sketchbook, you rip it up and then you put it on the wall. Okay. So it's a big ink wash drawing that has all the elements of the small drawings, but they're all big now. That's great that you had that kind of feedback that early on, you know, in terms of... Because, um, you know, we, were, we kicked off our discussions today. We were kind of talking about those. Um, it's been a thread here recently of people using either repurposed mm -hmm. objects... Mm -hmm. Like, what, why do you want to use found paper, for instance? Because paper is slowly disappearing, I feel like. Like, we're more concerned with our phones and our, mm -hmm. right. our iPads, <clears throat> and paper is slowly disappearing, I feel like. So for me, I collect paper because I love that feeling, and I love the way that pulp you know, takes a mark. Mm -hmm. So I think... If I can just collect all of it and draw on it and then 
install that in a space where people can go, oh, that was a phone book or that was a Bible or that was a piece of a random book that's slowly deteriorating because it's so old. It's from the 20s or 1900s or something. So for me, I love that idea of keeping that record or that artifact. How often does the... It's going to be an artifact at some point. How often does the context of the object of the of the paper connect with the subject of the show the show right now that's up in chicago art aids america yeah those drawings are made on found folders that's exactly what i was thinking of so for me i was relating that to like the medical file yeah you get Mm -hmm. your charts when you go to the doctor they come in with the folder and all your information's there so for me all the drawings that are on those folders are the information that are about the subject matter that I'm working with. And on each spine of the folders, we found artists and musicians who died from HIV or AIDS. So we wrote all of their names on the sides. So I'm relating that to that issue. And then the drawing is kind of about that person, but not really, because I have to add my patina to that. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a drawing of Easy e which is very intense, and I did not know that he was um, set up. Like, he contracted the virus through a situation instead of actually, oh, wow. like... I did not know that. I didn't know it either until the, one of the security guards in Chicago told me, because she saw his name on the spine, she was like, do you know that story? And I was like, No. Tell me about it. <laughs> Security guards, I'm telling you. Not a recurring thread in the brain fuzz. But she's been studying my work since she has to stand there all day at the museum and like look at everything. <laughs> Probably some of the best feedback you've ever received. Yeah. It was. She's like, you know, that drawing right there looks like this drawing that you made. And she pulls out her phone and I'm like, oh, my website's on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. She's like, yeah, I have to tell people about your work when they come up to look at it. I was like, oh, that's cool. You're not just a security guard. You're kind of a, you know, you're my agent, too. (laughs) Well, see, with funding and the arts being what it is, combining those roles now is becoming more and more important. So you can uh, can do security, you can do DOSA, you can do everything just as one. (laughs) I I was thinking, um, and this ties into a a recent discussion, um, the fact that when you got to grad school mm. to, to make the decision that you made on paper, is it a conscious effort maybe by contemporary artists yeah. to further uh, distance themselves from the past, i.e., you know, easel painting, mm. the, the, the square, etc., to be able to be liberated like that, you yeah. know, in terms of to not have to deal with all of the loaded associations right. with, say, painting on, a, on canvas. Mm. Um, that could take somebody 20 years to figure out if if they do. Right, and I feel like me running from that was being like the drawing machine so I could like not have that responsibility, I think. Because in graduate school, everybody was a little bit more critical than undergrad, I felt like. So for me, I wanted freedom and I wanted to create an expression that um, was unique and something that's more transportable. Yeah. 
you know, paper is easier to carry than well, canvases or I've got my little shipping. mini museum there versus the flat files. And I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited about things that fit in those. Yeah, yeah. right. My exactly. new mandate is it yeah. has to fit in the biggest drawing now can be 35, 45, or mm-hmm. forget it. But um, how was that received? Not to like go down memory lane. No, it's like, great. Was it just seemed like, what the hell are you doing? I felt like. Amongst like your fellow students. I felt. Uh, Did, were they looking at you like, what are you I think, um, like, all right, so my undergrad friends were like, whoa, why did you stop painting? My grad friends were like, oh, this is great. This is amazing. Then my students were like, whoa, we really can do that and get away with that? Because, you know, they don't know that paper and mark making can be fleeting like that. And to have that freedom is a a new thing to them. So I feel like I have to please all of these people in some way <clears throat> so I'm going to go back to painting at some point but um, I don't know I feel like to me drawing is it's liberating and the connection to everything that's happening like I can be political I can be uh, poetic I can be um, painterly in mm-hmm. the drawing so for me it's like an easy muscle flex and please all of those yeah, kind I mean, of categories. Yeah, it's high-low, in-between, yeah. it's portable. I think that's it what's amazing. It can be conceptual, it can be realistic. You can dress it up. It is, the guitar. It is the guitar of the visual arts. That's, you know, it's the portability. Exactly. It's the, exactly, it's like the solo guitarist can tour by but themselves. But that, that also that permission, because I, like, personally, that's been a huge thing, like, seeing, like, Cy Twombly was the, like, the permission Oh, yeah. For me to like, oh yeah, you can take this piece of graphite and draw all over this canvas. Or like, that's sadly in my world. Like I had yeah. to figure that out. Yeah. So you know, I understand that in terms of like, with uh, you know, like a, like students, for instance, to again, their some of their ideas might be like, well, you have to be able to draw like Rembrandt, and it's like, well, maybe it's Twombly or it's Gustin right. or you know, that's why like I. Fighting isn't uh, sponsoring us yet, but they should. But like, like D1 and D2 books, I still, I probably enjoy them more than anybody I show them to. But I mean, it's again, it's like permission. You can do whatever the hell you want. It's it's like drawing to me is very punk rock. I mean, yeah, it can it be is. Like, it can it's be so three chords yeah. and a cloud of dust, or it can be the most sophisticated, yep. uh, clinical, but it's immediate. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I'm going to hit you with the obvious. Nice criticism that's going to be out there your average viewer your average reader your average viewer will say i can do that i don't you know there's nothing special about it whereas if you've got the stretchers and you've got the then there's but they say that about that too no but the, the the trappings of the medium and the space in which you do it the fact that you can go to a bar and draw do you think it's the multiples I mean, there's power in bulk. Yeah. You know, and I've seen you yeah. hang. Yeah. I've seen some very yeah. interesting, like, you know, obviously with a, yeah. there was a fan involved. For, yeah. They were backwards. Yeah. I mean, you've yeah. done yeah. some very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but do you run into, how often do you run into that, though, for your average viewer? Are they turned off by it? Do they confront you and just, I've used this phrase before, the deceptive simplicity? Mm. I think... 
I have not run into anyone who's like upset or pissed off or confused or saying that they could do it themselves or felt shortchanged yeah, or felt yeah any of that. It's always been like, wow, you did that with that. Hmm, that's interesting. That's cool. Um, or how many did you do in one day? Like, I get <clears throat> those surprises more than anything. And see, that you're not going to that performative aspect is not going to get articulated for so many. Is how many, I mean, seriously, how many drawings in, a, in, in if you were to do a session, let's say? Well, monster drawing, I did, um, I think, 75 drawings in that one hour. Uh-huh. But people see speed. They see intent. They see... Yeah. I, that's what I think. I was performing. You know, I'm even noticing sometimes, like, sadly, you know, it's like the stuff that are like my maybe test materials sometimes are the things that people get most excited about. Yeah, and I'm just right. too stupid. Like, oh, no, I'm going to still labor over this for three weeks. But they're like, yeah, look at that. That's really because they catch something. Like, they, yeah. I actually was moving and right. moving quickly. And, you know. But there's something that. I think it's. You know, your viewer, though, is going to say, okay, your average viewer is yeah. going to say, okay, the speed with which you're able to knock this out. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. That can't be real art, or that can't be something that would hang in a museum, or that would. Yeah, I don't. I have not run into those people. Good. But <laughs> they're out there. <laughs> I, know, I would like to meet them and talk to them about it and see, you know, how their criticism. Like, I would be more interested in that criticism than um, I don't know, more educated or more people who know about the process of performative drawing. Because it raises it raises so many related issues, and I was immediately thinking when you were talking about machine mm-hmm. becoming that machine generative art how uh, artificial intelligence is coming into play mm-hmm. you get into that mindset where you're a machine what are you turning off to do that to become a, almost an artificial intelligence knowledge it's just like you just turn everything off I think judgment Jasper Johns says that when you go into the studio you leave everybody outside your teachers your friends your critics on a good day they leave. Yeah. They walk in there with you, and they. I love that one. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. And on a good day, yeah, then you're left by yourself. Yeah. So I think about that, and I think the drawings that I'm making right now are kind of about that solo emptiness. But you're trying to like fill that frame with marks that people can't, um, or people don't know how you made that mark. So people that love that gesture, they really get into my work. Like the painterly painters who love drawing love my work because they can see the evidence of that fleeting moment of how did you make that? Oh, I don't know. It just happened. So that special, like, spontaneous mark making is what I get off on. Are there any corrections? Sorry? Are there any corrections or edits? No edits. I like to be... um, I want the work to be um, as awkward and good and bad all together. So you're really trying to suspend any kind of judgment or criticality, right? Yeah, which makes sense because I mean, I, you know, it's easy to tell like a classroom, yeah, like you know, you can't be making and judging at the same time, right. and yet we exactly. all do it, right? You know, or it sounds like you don't, but you know. Well, I heard this great um, interview on NPR with I can't remember what section it was on, but the interviewer was talking to um, a gospel choir director. She's like, the reason why gospel music is so good is because they let everybody sing. 
so they don't edit. And that's I true. love that. Yeah. So I was thinking, wow, that's why my work is how it is right now because I don't edit. I just make it, put it to the side, even if it's bad, but it's going to go on the wall. Do you think it's bad? Because like I'm sitting here. No, and, no, I don't. I don't and, have it. And Michi comes to mind too. Like so, I'm sitting. <laughs> uh, you know, it's nice to sit and talk, talk shop, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But the level of ease, confidence. Joy mm-hmm. is, is enviable. Michi at least cop to like, no, no, I'm freaking out. You know, it's gonna get done. <laughs> yeah. but I'm gonna, but like I have to say, like as, as I sit back and watch you, you know, from a distance, look at your work. I mean, it just it just seems like it's this effortless thing, and I know for sure. I mean, so you're saying you're at least aware that like some of them, if you put those glasses on, yeah. the X-ray glasses, you're like, oh, that. But you just say. The hell with it, and it, it works with you everything put it on the else. pile. Yeah. Did it take you a while to get those to develop that those muscles? You know, it it took, it did take a lot of guts to get to that, and I feel like that's <clears throat> your inner guts. Because for, yeah, exactly. So for me, being you know under his kind of shadow, and Kerry James Marshall too, I feel like those people taught me at an early age that you can get away with. Um, trusting yourself and letting the work just be because you make five drawings and they might not be good but you can't get rid of them you have to keep them if you keep piling them up and keep making and making and making and making so for me that's how I feel like I'm full of freedom in the work in myself as a human being or not human being but um so I'm, uh, yeah well <laughs> When you're talking about like whether it's good or not, mm-hmm. you know, again, is there is that that inner you know gut level or whatever you want to call it in your mind versus is there an audience? I'm the audience. Are you I'm, thinking I'm, about I'm the like artist a gallery the or a show, no, or are you just like it's, it's you're in production? It's me and the work only. It's you and the work, yeah. and then like there's certain things that we you know we do in tandem, like for instance, you know, a studio visit. Yeah. And it obviously depends who's coming in to look at the work, and maybe we needed to find that or not. But I'm curious, like, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, pomp and circumstance. You know, like, how do you set the studio? Is it a stage, so to speak? Do you do you take most of the work down? Do you put a ton of work up? Do you show your history? Do you do the slow, sexy reveal? But the other thing is, what what is the strategy? Like, what do you want to hear from? Like, let's make it like it's maybe the gallery folks or like curators because otherwise like you know it seems like you're either asking for approval or blessing or this is good or it's not but but it's it's still like we're asking for like this subjective opinion yeah versus like what do you, you know like i still think someone might really like something that i've done if i don't like it like what good work that's a stalemate that's why i keep coming back to the uh average viewer thing it's like in that when you have an open studio, Man, and they come who cares. I mean, I probably say but, that. I get some letters from Slovakia. We do. Like, we do open studios, but you know what I mean. Like that's a, that's a different story. But if you're actually investing, you know, from a career standpoint, mm-hmm. you're, if you're trying to get the work to a different level, it seems like you're having to lay your work out there for some kind mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. approval versus this is it. Right. So then, like, why have the damn visit? Other and do you the, weight the approvals differently? That was I, that's 
I don't know. I mean, I, again, I think I've completely circled and answered or unanswered, <laughs> negated any question <laughs> I was just going to ask. But, but in the, well, no, in the so studio environment, though, with the performative drawing, yeah. and yeah, we are out of high life, by the way. Oh, I've got, got that one, one high life. Yeah. Do we have more in the front? Oh, yeah, we do. But in we that, have, we have we have the uh, top shelf. <laughs> oh, oh, that's okay. It's a good thing well, we have like really burpy beer from the Champagne of Beers, brought to you by Mother High Life. But we're all just like, boom. Yeah, excuse me. <laughs> so, so our the, all right, our studio, sleep, our sleep post edit mm. team will clean all this up, and we're going to sound amazing. The performative yes. aspect of your work in the studio. Yeah. How when you're doing a studio visit, I talk about people like Trisha Brown. Talk about people like um, Merce Cunningham. Okay. I talk about David Hammonds. I talk about John Cage, um, Francis Alice. Yeah. You know these people who put their bodies in line together in a space, but in the environment. I channel that and I talk about that with the person who's coming in to see the work. Usually, hopefully, I think I've been good about having good visits with people who love the mark making aspect of it so I haven't had to have like a powwow like showing videos on my iPhone to say gotcha so I made that yeah are you asking questions I guess is the you know because I I sometimes Um, have people which I also think is that the dodge of just like I'm really not into your work do you have any questions for me yeah (laughs) (laughs) which is fine any more questions Um, okay I feel like hey I don't sing a solo for you you either you either get it or you don't I had a very good studio visit with um, a group of collectors from Birmingham. Ah. And who also have come up several times before. Birmingham collectors are amazing. Yeah. They're awesome. That's what, yeah. <laughs> We've heard of a secret train that comes <laughs> in, like the Nazi <laughs> coming to Atlanta. And they're feisty, too. You got more liquor in them. They're feisty. Yeah. They came into my studio and they were like, I don't know about this, but as I'm talking about the work like I normally do, I have the same kind of like speech because it's an ongoing conversation in my brain. I yeah. just like tell people like this is what's happening. These are the different bodies of work that come from this person and they might happen at the same time, but they look like five different people. But that's the beauty of the work is because when I'm feeling excited about something, I'll just make all of this and then make all of that. Then I'll put it in the wall. Oh, in the wall, sorry. And it might look like two different people. But I feel like when you're creative, that's what happens. It's like Prince. That's why he's so amazing because he could do rock, punk, soul, R&B. So for me, that's kind of how I feel like making work is. Like I can make whatever I want because it's coming out. It's like this flow of like creative juices that I just run with. So I'm talking to them about that, and they're like, whoa, all right. Like one guy sat down and crossed his legs, and he's like, hmm, okay, now I'm following what's happening. And at the end, he was like so excited about it. He was like, this is good work. I can't believe. You were overcoming, what were you overcoming in his mind? I think I was touching parts of him that has not been touched in a studio visit with another artist because I was so Was honest. his wife there? 
Um, no, it's a collector. Get kidding. <laughs> <laughs> But do you, do you think it's also overcoming that, you know, wait, is this, is this a put-on? Because, I mean, on some level, I, even if it's a super slick, you know, uh, flash paint on aluminum, yeah. shiny, you know, yeah. Miami special, um, let alone a drawing. Like, I think there's always that moment of, like, why is this legitimate? And whether that's... That's exactly what I was saying. Or, yeah. like, once you realize, like, oh, wait. Yeah. You know, oh, that's a Twombly. The same thing hanging... Yeah. That's interesting, but I just, I sometimes wonder if there is that, like, I am going to, I mean, like, a band has to do that on stage, like, they are going to either just beat you down and keep playing and win you over or not, and I think with... You think about some of the reviews of, like, Sex Pistol shows, Mm -hmm. where they're saying, this was the worst garbage I've ever heard in my life, but there was something there. There What was it? There was something there. Um... I don't know. I haven't listened to them in a long time. Well, no, not just I, I, I'm gonna. I, I, I don't. I, go would, I would fight you on that one. I'm gonna say the Ramones. I was gonna say the okay. Ramones. Yeah. I mean, the Ramones are the yeah. the real thing. Those guys were like the Archies or, or the Monkeys. I mean, mm-hmm. depending on who you talk to, right. with, with Malcolm. But uh, say your analogy. But I mean, like you can name a band that you've mm-hmm. seen where you're just like, oh my, this is the real deal. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing when you see that. And I think the same thing with with work. Okay, you hear that? You say, why is this legitimate? No, I'm thinking you have to overcome that with, like, if it's especially, like, on the collecting side. I think maybe it's a little different with curators. <clears throat> but uh, so I still find, like, I have to justify. And I kind of have a weird, like, sometimes do, I mean, I'll set the stage as far as I don't want, like, a complete cold read. But um, I also think, like, I'd rather have an open discussion versus, like, I'm not going to do, like, an advertising song and dance here about and tell you why I think this should be. Either they get it or they don't. And I'm thinking, like, he, he's not having to do that. And I guess that's what I was curious. Like, are you asking these types of questions? And instead, it's just, like, you basically, which is a sign of, like, a real artist, you know? <laughs> this, is, this is it, man. This is what you get. You either right get it, you know. And I'm not, I don't mean to be overly harsh on no, myself. But, like, you know, it's just, it's interesting. I think the studio visit thing is amazing. <laughs> but there's always, it starts out with just a lot of waiting around. And some people like I don't. I really can't get much work uh, done beforehand, you know, because like I kind of have to strip the studio a little bit. And so, you know, you're kind of sitting around. You're out of your element. And you're waiting, and you start thinking of all the questions you want to ask, or you might be asked, or or not. And it's just it's an interesting thing. I had this huge critic, huge. Sad. I can't say his name. He came into my studio like New York artist. Yeah, he's a New York writer. Created oh. a couple of magazines. Um, okay. So he was our visiting artist that day. I was number one. Yeah. Nine o'clock in the morning. So I'm never late, like always on time. No so I like it. on my way to my studio, I bumped into my dean and she had some questions about some things that we were working on. So I'm talking to her and I'm like, Leslie, I have a studio visit with the visiting artist right now. She's like, okay, okay, hold on for one more second. So I'm talking to her. I'm like, all right, blah, 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 blah. So I show up to my studio. He's in the space. Arms crossed. Oh, man. Then I'm like four minutes late. So he's like, I don't know what to talk about right now, but you should read all of the negative criticism about Francisco Clemente 
um, Eric Fischel. <laughs> he just listed all of the 80s artists who I love. He's like, read only the negative criticism and you'll feel all right with this work. And I was like, well, <laughs> you know what? You should leave right now. I don't want to even talk to you right now. <clears throat> I don't need to talk to him. Like, that's not the person that's going to, like, have a nice dialogue with me or the work. So I asked him to leave. I was like, you can leave now. But then um, the next critic, three weeks later, I can say her name was Nicole Eisman. Oh, yeah. Great she name. came in and she looked around. She's like, you're different than anyone in this whole art school. There are 28 people in a graduate school. She's like, I like this. What are you doing later after the studio visits? It's like, well, we're going to go to Brewer's Art. She's like, I want to go. So we hung out at my studio and we talked about drawing. We talked about Philip Gustin. We talked about all of the people that she loved that she saw in my work. And we're still friends. So for her to like come in and dig in and understand this whole narrative and be a part of that was amazing to me. So every time she came to Baltimore, she would hang out with me. She would talk to me about my work. Like we would have like amazing conversations because she felt like this guy is doing something that these people are not doing. Yeah. They're doing something different, which mm -hmm. is awesome, mm -hmm. but this guy's in a solo <laughs> on a pathway that's Were you all... aware at the time that, um, like, I, how secure were you in that? I mean, because grad school's just, and I'm sure Micah, that had to be a pressure cooker. It was a pressure cooker, and uh, to... I think since I was doing something that was completely kind of disposable in a way because I was collecting paper like I was a bike messenger right. so I was finding documents and I didn't know that yeah for a long time okay so being a bike messenger uh -huh. you're out there in the world yeah. all day on a bike delivering expensive packages now it's different but back then we were taking like court cases that were like mm -hmm. you know a hundred thousand dollars somebody's life is on the line so for me I would secretly read some of the cases Intense, and you had to be aware of what you were carrying, you know. So, study what I was going to get a stamp for because I would take it to the lawyer and they would ask me questions. So, I had to be educated on that case. So, it's like you're an extension of the lawyer. Wow, <laughs> yeah, it was intense, man. So, for me, I was really obsessed with like this document holding so much power. So paper to me became like this powerful thing just from being a messenger for so long and then drawing on top of that, adding my history to that history that's already like being shared and documented. So I would go into buildings late at night and because I would see them on the bike in the daytime, like, oh yeah, that one's empty, I can sleep. So I'd go in and or bring like a big bag and I would take the paper from the different office spaces or I would go into like um, there's this one building called Triple Three in Baltimore it was like a belt making company so I'd go into the 
main office and I would get the documents that people like the receipts they were really beautiful and I would draw on those and some of those were in the show at Dashboard Co-op I don't know if you saw that show on North Avenue which was a really beautiful yeah, show yeah, Nexus yeah. Plexus Sexus so some of those were like the first time ever installed in a space I was really excited to see them like out again but they're on receipts from the 60s for me, that's a beautiful time to like look at a document from that far away. You know, uh, Marcus Kenny is somebody who also I've seen. I a was lot immediately of his, thinking of Marcus. You know, yeah. I've seen it like old checks yeah. and like registers, and you're thinking like, wow, like what yep. building did you crawl in? Right, it's like yep. where you found you can smell the mold and, oh. yeah. and then sneeze. But um, to be able to take some of the ordinary things, or to take a you know a piece of you know, a pencil, a number two pencil, and a piece of paper that was blowing down the sidewalk, and make art out of that. Yeah. So I'm going to give two kind of parallel answers to that. So the first one is um, when I met Raymond Saunders in California. Raymond Saunders is one of my heroes. When I told Michi about him, Michi was like, "Holy smokes! It's like seeing the sun for the first time." Yeah like his mark making, like his way of thinking. He taught me how to be an instructor. Um, so my whole theory of teaching is based from Raymond Saunders. So Raymond would find something on the street and draw on it and just leave it. But if somebody picked that up, that's like, oh, I could turn this in and make like, you know, $100,000 from his drawing that he just like drew on and just mm -hmm. left on the street. So Raymond... Um, that's one. And then the second one was Teresa Bramlett saw this box of drawings that I made um, for the Nexus Biennial 1999. And it was an accumulation of drawings that I had made over like a year time, I think, on everything. Napkins, plates, like paper plates, um, anything that I could draw and I just put it in a box. So Teresa went through all the drawings. She's like, you're going to be in the round room and I want you to cover the whole thing with these drawings. The show's going to be about the figure. So I was like, all right, cool. So the 1999 biannual, I had that first room when you walk into yeah, the gallery. Yeah. I covered the whole thing with drawings. And I think that's when I realized when I went to graduate school, I was reflecting back to that moment of someone appreciating all the marks I was making on random objects. Like, so she gave me that thumbs up, like, this is the way to go. So, man, this is what I got to do. So that's when I started doing the drawing, automatic drawing machine. Yeah. So she gave me the green light. And she opened it up to this whole thing of, like, this guy's drawn on everything, and you can like it or not, but he's not, he's fearless. You actually use the phrase automatic drawing. Yeah. But earlier when you were talking about the machine, mm -hmm. I immediately went to the automatic message. Right. And magnetic fields, and I was thinking about all of that. Nice. Now, you didn't... The legend, Louis Bourgeois. Okay, okay. He did a studio visit with me. And, oh, wow. Yeah. So when I met her, I think it was her son, was her handler, or he shows up with her. But anyway, she comes in my studio, and she's like, 
what do you have to drink? I was like, hmm, Jim Bean. She's like, okay, cool. Poor Jim Bean. Jim Bean. <clears throat> she sits down. She looks at the drawing. She's like, hmm, you're okay. I was like, okay. She's like, you're automatic. You're poetic. She's went through this list of things that I think about when I'm making work. And I'm sitting there going, I love you. You're amazing. <laughs> do you take notes during something like that, or do you record? No, I did not, because... But you're, just, but you're in the moment. Yeah, you're in the okay. moment, and you know, it's graduate school. You don't think about those things. But that's difficult, because now it is. I know people that yeah. record everything. Yeah, now, yeah. But you're like, but you're... So I'm just taking this yeah, in. Yeah, it's great. It's like she's like blowing the wind on the fire, and I'm just like burning up inside. And she's walking around looking at the drawings, and she's like, I love these hands. I'm like, I know, I love your hands. Like, as she's talking, I'm like channeling her work because her work gave me some kind of power at yeah. some point in my life early. So um, she's like, This is good work. I love what you're doing. You're honest, you're open, you think about your dreams. I'm like, Yes. So for her to like, just enjoy the work and like not criticize it and it's like she's like telling me stories and finding things in my work as she's walking around looking at things with her whiskey in her hand um I was like all right this is good I'm gonna keep pressing on the gas and just keep going so she gave me like this confidence builder in grad school that's like, ah, yeah. But I think it's because, oh, wow. again, I'm going to go back to that band thing. She's like, like 89. They got the, I think wow. you have the confidence and people, you know, you can, you can smell it. That's uh, what a great education yeah, and, and access. Great. That, uh, <laughs> and I wanted to say this earlier, but you really have, you know, if you think about the definition of success, I, I'm not talking about blue chip, that, no, you know, that level, that kind of thing. That's a whole stratospheric kind of thing. But when I think about success in your path, and you, you have it's experienced crazy. that, you it's are, crazy, I mean, congratulations, by Thanks. the way, you've had some love recent <laughs> big time successes that, um, that it's just, it's great to see. Well, I feel lucky to have this studio. Like you guys have a great space. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I feel uh, good about this. Like it's been so great working with all these people who work there, and I feel like for a long time I've only had a studio in my house. It's like the first time in a long time that it's been outside of the house. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. So I like the idea that I have to go to the space and work. Mm-hmm. And then I go home and I think about the work more. And you can't see it till later. Than exactly. Yeah. I walk in. I'm like, that's oh, a nice. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. work see if the gremlins uh, left you something good or. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. I gotta fix all that. Right. Exactly. I love that. I love that your space is all the way in the back, and you have to walk through all the space I know. to get to yours. Was that a conscious then decision everybody. that you got that back space? No, it was it's like luck of the draw. Yeah. I, Which I, is great. I, I like that was my first thought when I walked in there. I was like, that's interesting. Because it, it is, that's one of the greatest things about being in some kind of community. Yeah. To be able to see, even if you say nothing, just even to see the way somebody's studio is laid out, it's, it's inspiring. It you, gives you something. Yeah, something. And I love that. I love being inspired when I get there because it 
when I close the door, I'm excited to be there and I can work. But also when they're all there together, it's like this great environment of people who I respect. Sometimes I'm like, well, I need this because I'm like very private. So right now it's like good that I have these four, three people who kind of keep me excited about being public with the work. There's something about though, um, unfortunately, uh, you know, ready or not almost, I feel like I, it, I need to have other people in see, the room. I, I don't or like them. a show, that's what it, no, but to yeah. see what I have, sometimes right. I can't see it either until it's out of, A, out of the studio mm-hmm. or hanging somewhere and right. then sometimes you're just like, oh, but I don't know, there's something about things being in a room and, you know, interacting with whatever else might be up mm-hmm. and that takes on a different life. But, um, well, speaking of different life, the drawing that you saw in my studio, I'm trying to figure out how to reinvent that life. Oh boy. So I'm going to create this performative like act that's going to happen where we're going to make a film, kind of like Matthew Barney, where I'm bringing... I've been thinking of his... him the whole time in that drawing restraint. I'm like, don't yeah. bring it up. Don't bring up Matthew Barney. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, Matthew and I were... Don't you, you get a warning for that, don't you? Oh, no. To the... I think you said earlier that people get a warning for that. Oh, if you throw out artist names? Uh, no, I Matthew Barney specifically. <laughs> but it's Matthew. You refer to it as Matthew. No, that, all right, just, just a warning. <laughs> I like that. He has agency. <laughs> Can't do that. Um, so let me ask you something. From, from, from Connect with Joe and Matthew and find out more about this and other episodes at brainfuzzpodcast.com. On social media, share your thoughts and comments with hashtag brainfuzzpodcast. Now, go assert your agency.